Welcome to the Alkaline Unplugged podcast. I'm Erin Parazuski, a functional fitness expert and holistic health coach. I am the founder and CEO of Alkaline, a health and wellness company that operates boutique fitness franchises across the U.S. I live in Menlo Park, California with my husband and two young daughters. I am joined by my podcast partner, Kathy Purnell, a master instructor at Alkaline and a former special education teacher. She has three grown daughters and lives in Los Altos with her husband, Jeff. Together, we bring you Alkaline Unplugged, a collection of conversations on a whole host of topics, from experts in the health and wellness field to the real, raw, and human stories of people like you and me. We look forward to bringing you content that will nourish your mind, body, and soul. We thank you for tuning in and look forward to your comments and feedback. If you like what you hear, we'd appreciate a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. As a disclaimer, neither Kathy nor I are licensed medical professionals. The materials and content in this podcast are intended to be general information and are not to be considered a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hi, welcome to episode six of the Alkaline Unplugged podcast. I'm here with my podcast partner in crime, Kathy Purnell. Hey, Erin. How's it going? It's going great. It's a blistering day out there, but I'm summer has arrived. It has, it has, and I'm grateful to be in a nice, cool environment. Um, Today, we are joined by Brian Weisfeld, an author, entrepreneur, and founder and chief squad officer of the Startup Squad. Brian has helped build a number of well-known billion-dollar companies, including IMAX Corporation and Coupons.com. Drawing inspiration from his two daughters, Brian founded the Startup Squad, a multi-platform initiative dedicated to empowering girls to realize their potential and follow their dreams, whatever their passions, by inspiring them to open their first business and develop an entrepreneurial mindset. Brian is the co-author of the Startup Squad, a children's book series from Macmillan Publishers. Book number one of the series was released on May 7th. Welcome, Brian. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. All right. You became an author in a roundabout way. Share us how that came to be and how you launched the Startup Squad. It certainly is a roundabout way. um, I've spent my career helping entrepreneurs scale and build their businesses. So uh, in the early 1990s, I was part of a three-person team that bought IMAX, the giant screen movie theater company. At the time, there were probably 75 theaters in the world, mostly in museums and science centers, and they were showing educational films. But the guys I uh, bought it with realized that people walk out of those theaters and say, wow, that was incredible. So their vision was, why does it have to be a fish film in a museum? Why can't people go see Avengers at the local multiplex? And so that was the vision then, and that's the reality today. And um, I moved from uh, Silicon Valley to, sorry, I moved from New York to Silicon Valley about 11 years ago now to be the chief operating officer of coupons.com. And at the time, the company was about 100 people and maybe 15 million in revenue. And uh, when I left five years later, it was 500 people probably doing 10 times the revenue and getting ready for its IPO. And so I was just looking for the next company to help grow and scale and the next entrepreneur to partner with. And then what happened? So it was really interesting. Uh, Two things happened. One was, uh, I've got two daughters. They're now 13 and 11. So this is five years ago. At the time, they were eight and six. And I watched my older daughter uh, attempt to sell Girl Scout cookies and run a charity bake sale with far more enthusiasm than idea about how to market and sell a product. 
when she was selling the Girl Scout cookies for the first time, she was so excited. She put on that vest and she took a step stool down to the end of our driveway and she set up her cookies. But then she just stood there. She didn't actually know what to do. And people were walking by and she was just standing there. And actually, it was my wife was the one that said to her, you know, when people walk by, you should say good morning to get their attention and make sure you look people in the eye when you talk to them. And then she was doing this charity bake sale with a friend of hers. And um, she said, tell people the money goes to charity because even if they don't want to buy a brownie, maybe they'll still give you a few bucks. I was frankly more entertained by the whole thing than anything else. I thought it was really <laughs> cute. My eight-year-old didn't know how to get someone to buy Girl Scout cookies from her. Uh, but then fast forward, this is now a Sunday morning in June of 2014. I was laying in bed reading books with the girls. And my older daughter was on my right side. And she was reading from the Who Was series, these biographies for kids. Oh, I love this. They're, they're, yeah, they're, I learned so much reading those with my kids. They're fantastic. Yeah. They're so well done. And they're just a, a wealth of different people that they that they uh, write, have the books on. And so she was reading Who Was Queen Elizabeth. My um, younger daughter was in kindergarten. And so she was on my other side. And as uh, I was reading to her, and as fate would have it, the book she picked that day was like the 57th book of the Rainbow Fairy series. <laughs> And I just wanted to throw the thing out the window. I just, their books are so repetitive. They're so hard to read over and over again. There's not a lot of there, there in the content. And while I gave the Rainbow Fairies a ton of credit for helping her imagination and making her want to learn how to read, my older daughter was getting the exact same benefit and she was learning about Queen Elizabeth. And I have no idea why, but for some reason, those two experiences combined in my brain at that moment. And I said, I'm going to create essentially a franchise to get girls interested in entrepreneurship, um, get, get them interested in opening up that first lemonade stand or, or bake sale and start that entrepreneurial journey. And when I thought of it, I thought, well, if my target market is these third to sixth grade girls, the best way to launch would be through a series of books for girls. And um, whether that was the right decision or wrong decision, it certainly wasn't the quickest or easiest decision, but I decided to launch it with this series of books. Which is so awesome because if you think about the most um, well-known entrepreneurs, the, you you instantly go to men, right? More common than not, you hear about the men. And yet there are so many brilliant women in this world. And you're starting, let's raise them from the get-go saying to our girls, you can do this. And we're going to give you the skills and the um, inspiration in order to get there, which I think is really awesome. Yeah. and it. it for me, it's twofold. One is, if these girls grow up to be entrepreneurs and CEOs, that's great. And I'll tell you some fun stories about girls I've already met that have read the book. But for me, it's more what's—it's more about the mindset. It's that entrepreneurial mindset and thinking like an entrepreneur and getting comfortable with risk and failure. And there's so many different aspects of it that we can talk about. But my thinking is that girls with an entrepreneurial mindset will be far more successful in life, regardless of what the path they choose. And if they want to be CEOs, then then that's awesome. That's right. even better. Um, but let's just get them starting to, to think like entrepreneurs. Yeah, and that also, growth mindset. Yeah. And there's um, there are so many great organizations today doing fantastic work to try to level the, the playing field and create more gender equality in the workplace. And my hope is that with the work that I'm doing and that the girls that are reading the startup squad, um, by the time they get into the workforce, all these uh, fantastic women, female CEOs and these organizations will have done tremendous work to level the playing field and give them a greater opportunity whenever they do reach that, that point. That's great. So how did you get started in the writing process? I'm currently writing a book too, and it's also a very slow 
process, different type of book, but um, how did you, did you have a, a story in mind or a concept? So the concept was to um, do something in fiction, not nonfiction, because what I didn't want was the girls that are already interested in picking up a nonfiction book about starting a business, they're already on that path. I wanted the girls who had never thought about op- even opening up a lemonade stand to read a book, a fun book, and enjoy it and sort of say, hey, that sounds like fun. I want to do that, too. Um, and so doing it as fiction was always the, the first thing that came to mind. It certainly wasn't. It would have been a lot easier for me to do nonfiction. I mean, I've spent my career doing business writing. I've written you know, press releases and conference call speeches and business plans. I don't know how to write fiction. And I didn't think that I'd be the person to actually write the books at the end of the day, but I knew I had to write it to get it down on paper to explain to someone what it was and sort of test it with girls and see what their reaction was. So truly, one of the first things I did is I went out and bought writing children's books for dummies. Oh. <laughs> and I, I've read, at this point, I've read probably 15 different books about writing, everything up to college-level textbooks about writing dialogue. And I got to say the best of all of them was probably that writing children's books for dummies because it not only talked about the craft of writing for children, but more importantly, it talked about the industry and how the industry works. And here's actually how you get a, how you get a book published and here's what you have to do to get a literary agent and, and how that process works. And so that was one of the first things I did, but I spent probably about three years reading books about writing, taking writing classes, uh, going to writing conferences hiring freelance editors to work with me. And uh, luckily there is a fantastic organization for people that are interested in writing children's books called the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators or the SCBWI. And they have just a wealth of resources about people uh, to help people that have never written before and just say, hey, well, I've got a story inside of me. I want to get it out um, between local conferences and things on their on their blog and meetups and those sorts of things it's fantastic I actually just came up from from a, uh, a author group author book club just now that's sponsored by the scbwi so that was really how i started but it was unquestionably writing this thing was the hardest and most humbling thing i've ever uh tried to do in my entire career but the result of it has been also the most rewarding as well did you get a lot of input from your daughters so what's funny is um for the first nine months or so I was working on it, I didn't tell them that I was writing it. I told them a friend of mine is writing this book and wanted to get their opinion because I was afraid if it was me, I wouldn't get their honest feedback. It may filter or color yeah, what they, they were They don't want to insult daddy and that's yeah. not going to help me. I want the real feedback. And so... So interesting. I never, I never think of that. Yeah. So there was a, a funny episode where um, I was trying to think of a scene and I needed something humorous to happen in the scene. And I said to my daughter um, uh, at night, I was like, hey, I was thinking of something happening in the scene that should be funny. What should happen? You know, should someone burp or we should see their underwear? You know, I was just thinking sort of <laughs> lowest common denominator kid humor um, shows you the talent of my writing at that moment. <laughs> but um, she came up with a suggestion and um, I said, oh, that's really good. And so she went to sleep and I ran downstairs and I banged out the pages and when she woke up in the morning, I said, hey, I spoke to my friend who really liked what, your idea. What do you think of this? And I gave her the scene to read. And she's like, oh, that's funny. Um, and then the, the, the punchline to that is probably about two months later, I gave it to a, an adult friend of mine to read as a beta reader. 
And his comment was, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed reading it. It was funny, especially that one scene where, and he described <laughs> the scene that my daughter had, um, had come up with. So uh, for the first time, months, I didn't tell him anything until I had to finally tell them on Valentine's Day, this is probably 2010. Uh, no, sorry, uh, 2015. And the reason was because the San Francisco Writers Conference was going on that weekend and I was going to be away for Valentine's Day. My daughters were like nine and seven and they were just crushed that daddy wouldn't, where could you possibly go on <laughs> Valentine's Day and not spend it with us? And so I sat them down and I told them, I said, you remember this book that this friend of mine is writing? It's, it's actually me. <laughs> and um, they had a bunch of questions and then they both sort of took off. And they came back and my older daughter, I had explained to them that I was trying to learn how to write and do, taking all these classes and doing all these different things. And so my older daughter came back with two things in her hand and she said, um, uh, one was Harry Potter. And she said, dad, if you want a good book to read. Said, no <laughs> pressure, bro. If you want to start a successful franchise, <laughs> yeah. try Harry Potter. Right. And then the other book that she had with her was, it was called, um, it was called My Weird and Wacky writing tips and it was like the writing book that they were using in their third grade class to help them learn how to write and so that was what she came back and then uh, a little while later my younger daughter came back and she had um drawn the cover art for the book Aww. she was like this should be your cover and i still have that it's not the actual cover art That's but i still awesome. have that today that image that she drew uh when she first found out that i was the one actually was actually writing it Brian, I listened to your TEDx talk and you spoke about the experience of, you know, turning the book over to literary folks and what their response was. And it sounds to me like you had to lean into your own growth mindset at times. Um, can you tell us how that, what happened with your experience there? Yeah. So I, I think the heart is so many people say they have this story in them. And I know so many people that are writing something, but they never shared it with someone, with someone. And I think probably one of the hardest things that I ever had to do was to share that, that first draft with someone for the first time. It's just the vulnerability and exposing mm -hmm. myself. You know, I had sort of been, I don't know if it's left brain or right brain, but I had been a, you know, sort of a business guy, very focused on numbers. And now I was trying to uh, harness that creative side of me that I, I really probably hadn't used since I was a kid. And so sharing that for the first time was one of the hardest things that I, that I had to do. Um, the second hardest was dealing with some of the feedback that I got from the, uh, uh, from the original people that I, that I showed the draft to um, in, yeah, in the TEDx, I, I tell the story, the two stories of one, the first person I met in the publishing industry was, uh, was an agent. And, um, she said to me, it was, she was a friend of a friend that agreed to meet with me and she was incredibly helpful, but she said to me, um, if I was your friend, I'd tell you not to waste your time. Ouch. And that was yeah. the first person in the industry that I ever met with. And, um, but I remember being, re feeling really empowered by that rejection because I knew that the process of getting a book published was filled with rejections. It's 99 no's before you get that one yes. And surviving that first no was incredibly empowering. Um, the second was, uh, there's, I went to a writing conference where you can submit feedback to an actual editor at a publishing, uh, sorry, you can submit like the first five or 10 pages of your manuscript to an actual editor at a publishing house and they'll give you feedback. And so I did exactly that. And, um, she was brutally honest 
with me. I, I, I do have to start by saying she was everything she said was absolutely right. She had no filter whatsoever, which I appreciate, but it was a little less of a filter than I enjoyed. Um, she <laughs> gave me back her uh, the the ten pages, and there were comments in the margin, and um, next to one scene where I had two of these girls talking to each other. Um, she actually said, I find it hard to believe you actually have children. Like, have oh, you ever wow. heard them speak? <laughs> and it was, uh, it was 10 pages of that type of feedback. And again, she was absolutely right. I was, you know, eight months into this process of learning how to write. And the fact that I had submitted this thing was probably just uh, idiocy more than anything else. Um, but the feedback was brutally honest and was interesting because I had to, um, at, that created a huge decision tree for me because I had to decide whether or not I wanted to move forward. I had just been to the San Francisco Writers Conference. I met an editor. A guy came up to me and he heard what I was working on. And he said, I've got two daughters. Um, they're, uh, I think they were four and six at the time. He said, when they're older, this is the book I want them to read. How can I help? And so I was just trying to decide whether I want to work with the guy. And I knew it was going to be a six-month process of just completely rewriting. And so then I just had this brutally honest critique and this woman basically saying to me, you cannot do this and you've wasted my time in, in submitting this. And the conference was in Mon Monterey. And um, I remember I, the conference ended and I went down to Carmel and I sat on a bench just right downtown in the town of Carmel and had this moment of trying to decide whether or not this is what, something I wanted to move forward with. And partly because someone had just told me you can't do this and my personality is to say well you know i'm gonna yes i'm gonna let's let's see how we could do here yeah. um and so that was one of that was i decided then that i was going to move forward and i remember distinctly i took that critique that she gave me and i went through it and i removed all the emotion she was giving me good feedback i just had to remove the emotion so where she said you know i find it hard to believe you have children in my pad, I wrote, dialogue needs to be more realistic. And I went through those 10 pages and I pulled out the emotion and I sort of created the concrete items and I promised myself I was never going to read that critique again. And five years later, I still haven't. I've gone back to it just because I wanted to make sure I got that quote exactly right or to pull different things, but I still haven't read through that, that whole critique again. And what you just described, I think, is so important. And I think a huge part of what you're trying to do here is to empower our daughters, young girls, to not take no at face value, not to read in or over-personalize feedback that they might receive, but use that as a gift and a way to launch them forward versus holding them back, having that true growth mindset, you know. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I, I now do school visits and um, a big part of my school presentation to these kids is I walk them through famous failures. The whole point of the, uh, my whole point is I talk about other kid entrepreneurs that have turned their hobby, other kids that have turned their hobbies into businesses. But I also talk to them about the entrepreneurial mindset and how important it is to be comfortable with risk and failure. And so I, I talk about the, um, the, the phrase, win some, lose some. I say, entrepreneurs don't say win some, lose some. Entrepreneurs say win some, learn some. Because you are going to fail. Everyone fails. And then I walk them through famous failures. I tell them what, that when Beyonce was nine years old, she was on Star Search and lost. Wow. I tell them that Michael Jordan um, got cut from his high school basketball team before he became one of the best basketball players in history. Um, 
I ask them if they know who Mark Cuban is. And I say, oh, that's so great that you all are big fans of his show, The Benefactor. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, you mean his second show, Shark Tank? And I talked to them about The Benefactor. They recorded eight episodes of The Benefactor, and it was they canceled it so quickly, they only showed six of them on TV. Um, and then I, I talk about you know Bill Gates and his first failure, and the whole point of that, these people failed but learned from it or used it as a motivating factor. And that's the, it's not, you know, for all kids, um, but in my mind, especially girls, and I think my daughters, to get comfortable with taking that risk and to get comfortable with failure um, is so important. So important. Um, Aaron has two young daughters and I myself have daughters that are launched at, well, kind of launched. Finally, to, finally launched. Yes. Yeah. 20, yeah, officially, officially. That's true. That's like true. Yes. weeks ago. Abby will, and Abby will start a job in New York. Thank goodness. So off the payroll. But anyway, I think about the value for, girls, Aaron's daughter's ages or your daughter's ages. But then I also think about, you know, young women, they're not girls any longer, but 22, 25, 27. Do you have any desire to, to age up in terms of your messaging? I think the messaging is similar. um, But when built in patterns for young women develop, like, how do you get them to believe in themselves, themselves more and take that that risk. Yeah, I, our focus right now is on this sort of third to sixth grade girls, uh, but there's certainly no reason why the message, the messaging of that entrepreneurial mindset couldn't age up and getting women who are comfortable in the workplace right now comfortable with risk and comfortable with failure. And as I said, there are so many or- great organizations that are doing that and support networks for women to just get them comfortable with. Um, some of the challenges that they're facing and sharing those experiences. And hopefully our girls will, the the startup squad readers will grow up and have the benefit of that. So what's next for you, Brian? So, uh, well, a couple of things. Um, One is we are actively working on book two. This is a series. So the second book in the series is going to come out on on May 7th. Uh, We're also looking at creating some uh, video content for, for girls. And uh, the last one is a big part of what I'm working on is that, or my belief is I want to make sure that the book gets in the hands of girls that might not otherwise have access to it. So, you know, there, uh, there's a ton of girls that can't afford to go pay dollars for a, for a copy of a book. And so I want to make sure that they have access to it. So I just actually finished a program um, with a fantastic organization called Girls Inc. Um, and I work with Girls Inc. of New York City. And we did a program called 100 Inspiring 100. And the idea was to find 100 female leaders to each donate 100 copies of the book to 100 girls in need. And the idea was to distribute these books to the girls of Girls Inc. of New York City, uh, 65% of whom come from families with a household income of $30,000 a year or less. And also to provide them with a little bit of mentoring. So when people donated, we also asked them for one tip for a girl opening up her first lemonade stand. And so the idea is we'd give the girls these books and also give them tips for launching a lemonade stand. And the program was incredibly successful. We um, uh, raised money to donate 7,000 copies of the Startup Squad to the Girls of Girls Inc. in New York City. And um, we are right now, right now, I'm looking at trying to work on doing that same program regionally. So I'm talking to groups in uh, other cities, either uh, women's women's entrepreneur organizations 
or individual CEOs that either grew up in a certain home, grew up in a place or have their companies based somewhere and saying, let's do the same thing in your hometown. Let's find a local corporate sponsor to buy the books at a discount from Macmillan, find a local charity to pass them out, let you be the role model to these girls. And I'd be happy to go and either Skype or meet with girls in person and visit their schools and do those sorts of things. And so that's a big part of, of what I'm trying to do. And um, that's hopefully in the fall, we'll, we'll have a few more cities popping up where we'll uh, be able to put the books into the hands of girls that might not, not, uh, not otherwise have access to it. That's awesome. Um, what do your girls think of the book now that it's out? So uh, they are, uh, first of all, they are avid readers. I mean, anytime we want them to do anything, it's you got to put the book down. We need to be here or it's time for bed or you got to get out of bed or something. So they're always with a book in their hands. So the insight into the publishing process to them has been has been really interesting. Um, they're also we had our, our launch party. Uh, recently, and we had a created a girlpreneur market. We had 23 girls set up businesses at this market, and um, my daughters were there. With one daughter had with her friends started the calligraphy business, and uh, another daughter, my other daughter, was um, selling lemonade to raise money for the entrance fee into a festival that she wanted to join as part of her climate change group at school. And so they've both been uh, very interested in seeing the publishing process and now starting to take some of that entrepreneurial mindset and put it to practice as well. Has it helped the Girl Scout cookie sales? <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't have any more Girl Scouts in the family. Uh, but actually, we have, I've worked with about 25 different Girl Scout troops uh, around the country. And uh, there's no question that the girls that read the manuscript before they start selling cookies have a better understanding that they are actually running a small business. They're not just selling cookies and they become more excited about it. They do a better job about it and are less likely to hand the form to mom or dad and saying, Hey, can you, can you take this to the office? I have to say your wife, Hillary is a longtime alkaline client and one of my personal favorite people on the planet. And I remember vividly the day I heard her come into the studio and share what you are doing and I have to tell you that the pride, it makes me cry thinking about it. The pride that she takes in what you're doing is amazing. Like she's so proud of you. And um, I know that she, I'm sure she shared that with you too, but the way she speaks about you to others is just awesome. And I consider this a privilege to get to meet you and, and learn all about what you've been doing and what your plans are for the future. So. Thank well, you. Well, thank you. And to, to for me to say that I could not have done this without Hillary's support is the biggest understatement I could possibly make. Um, she has uh, always been my first editor. Uh, every page, every sentence I wrote of that first 42,000 word manuscript, she poured over as much as I did. Um, and even to this day is still reading things for me before they go out. And uh, my first sounding board and biggest cheerleader. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one. That's terrific. So where can we learn more about the Startup Squad and everything you're working on? Yes. So the Startup Squad, we've got a, a website, uh, the startupsquad.com, that has actually a ton of resources, both for girls as well as for their parents. We are about to kick off a contest to feature a, to profile a girl in the back of book two. In the book, in the Startup Squad, we have a fiction section. It's, and then after the story, we have a nonfiction section where we talk about the business concepts that the girls experience. 
And then we interview a, a girl entrepreneur to give the girls some aspiration that they too can start a big business. And so in a couple of weeks, we're going to be launching the contest to try to find the girl to feature in book two. All girls have to do is submit a one minute video of, about their business to our, to our website and we'll put it on a gallery and support them on social media. And then we'll uh, have a vote later this fall to select the, the girl to feature in the back of book two. So the startup squad.com and on social, all, every social media channel, we are at the startup squad. Excellent. It's amazing. I have read the book with my kids. Um, my nine-year-old absolutely loved it. She's so excited that I get to meet you and that you're going to sign her book for her. And um, I am definitely buying this book for like every, you know, birthday party and every gift because I think it's really inspiring as a female entrepreneur myself. I feel like we need more, um, you know, girls and women leaders and um, we're grateful for you, like taking the leap into this topic. It's really awesome. And I can't wait, wait to read book two. You said May 7th? Uh, May 5th of May next 5th. year. Cinco de Mayo. Yes. Okay. okay. I'll grab a margarita. And a new copy. <laughs> um, well, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thank you for joining another episode of Alkaline Unplugged. As a reminder, please leave us a review on Apple iTunes or wherever you're listening. Comments, feedback, and requests or suggestions for future guests can be emailed to info at alkalinestudios.com. We look forward to hearing from you.